You may be seated. It is so good to be back with you, and uh, I want to commend your 9 a.m. service. They have a huge passion for Egypt, and we know that because they bought all the books. So, doesn't mean you can't pray for Egypt, but there are no books left. I also want to uh, add my encouragement, what Pastor Tox said, about the conference that's coming up next month. I want to talk specifically to those of you who are in the auditorium right now and have never been to a New Zealand and beyond. I've discovered in my four decades of following Christ that most of the significant moments that I had with God were more about me being in the right place for what he wanted to do, not so much what I did. And if you've never been to a New Zealand and beyond conference, can I encourage you to think about being in the right place? for what God wants to do. Because if you're not there, I don't know what will happen, but whatever God's doing there, you won't be in that place. I'd really encourage you to carve what is really, in light of eternity, just a handful of hours out of your life that God can use to shape in amazing ways. Whenever I come here, I'm always amazed at all that you're doing. So many good things, uh, so many good projects, so much good work. And as a Christian, oftentimes, our life gets full of stuff. And then it's necessary at times to kind of hit the pause button and refocus and recall and remember what really matters, what we should know, what we can rely on. I want you to go back with me to the Garden of Eden, that you were created out of a love of a God. He loves you so much, he created you with this this passion that he had. That's why you were created, out of his love. And then in that story, something changed. Adam and Eve had one responsibility, receive what God was giving them. That was their only responsibility, just receive. Receive his love, receive his nourishment, receive all the blessings of God. All they had to do was receive. But the one thing they tried to get is what got them in so much trouble. And it changed the nature of a relationship with God where we find ourselves trying to get something from God rather than receiving from God. And oftentimes that applies itself into our relationship with Him. Or how do I get God to love me rather than receiving God's love? Because when you try to acquire love, here's what happens. You stop giving love. If I have to acquire it, I'm going to make other people acquire it as well from me. And it changes our whole relationship with God. Oh, you may fear him. You may obey him. You may even serve him. But are you in a love story with him? I mean, think about your relationship with God as a story. What kind of a story would it be? For some of you, it may be like a mystery novel. I just got to figure this God out. For some of you, it may be a historical novel. All that matters is what happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. For some of you, your story with God may simply be a futuristic novel. All that matters is eternity once I'm gone from this place. If you were to ask God, what kind of a story does he want to have with you and you to have with him? He would say, I want it to be a love story. That's why you were created. Someone is noticing you. Someone is pursuing you. Somebody loves you. God cannot love you anymore than he does at this very moment. And you cannot acquire any more love from God. But you have to learn how to receive this love. It is the one thing you can know and rely on. That's why 1 John 4 says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. 
God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And I discover that when I forget this, I find myself trying to know and rely on other things for my life. Other things from God, other things from others. And for the next few minutes, I just want you to hit the pause button. Sit back and relax. There's no three points of application. There's no correction because you can't get this. You can only receive this. And we're going to study a passage that talks about God's love in our life story, how profoundly significant it is and how we receive it. Open your Bibles to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 teaches us of God's love in our life in a rich way. Oftentimes when you read the Psalms, the last verse of the Psalm is kind of an overarching conclusion and summation to the Psalm. So we're going to start at the very end of this psalm in verse 43. David wrote this psalm, and here's what he writes in verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and consider the loving deeds of the Lord. He says love and wisdom actually go together, and what I want you to do is consider the love of God. And that word consider, do you know what it means? Literally, it means stare at it, ponder it. Is this that David is saying, I want you to figure out God's love. Why does he want us to really think deeply about God's love? Because when you really think about, when you really discover, when you richly consider God's love, what you're going to discover, it is far deeper, far greater, far more profoundly impactful of our life than I think we give it credit for. David says, if you think about it, if you really understand it, your heart will be changed and your life will be transformed. So we're going to look at 107. But it's your story. And as we read your story, think about God's love in your life. Look at verse 1. David starts the psalm and he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. He says, listen, his love endures forever. What David is saying is there's no part of your life whatsoever where his love doesn't have application. There's no time, no moment when his love doesn't have a serious impact on your life and your relationship with him. And he says, let the redeemed tell their story. This is the story that you should be telling. The story of God's love into your life. Now David's going to actually tell that story. Psalms 107 is a musical poem. And it's got four stanzas to it. Each stanza is like a chapter of our life story. And David does the same thing in each stanza. He describes the chapter of our life story. Applies to all of us. Then he talks about God's love in that chapter of our life story. And then he tells us how we receive God's love. This is your story. Let's look at God's love and discover how much deeper and richer it is for us. The first chapter of our life story is when we're homeless. We're wanderers. We're kind of wandering all alone and we don't belong anywhere. And into this life story comes God's love as a father. Look at verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty fills the hungry with good things. 
David says, listen, you can't find your way to a city. In that culture, you would belong in a city. Your identity would be tied to a city. In a city, with the city walls, is where you would be safe, where you could have a family, where there would be stability. If you were outside of the city wall, then you were wandering and you were lost and you had no identity and you would be in harm's way. And David says, we cannot find our own way to that place where we belong. Or we don't belong anywhere, it seems like. We're just wandering as orphans. If David was here today, here's how he would write it. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands me. You ever had something happen deep in your soul and you try to share it with a friend? And that friend you know is sincere in their care for you, but as you're speaking to them, you look into their eyes and you realize they don't get it. They don't understand me. This is the picture that David is preaching where we desperately want to belong. We are hardwired by God to be a part of something. None of us is designed to be alone, and yet David says our lives are fading away. From very young age, in through school, even into adulthood, most of the seasons of our life are described by us spending hours trying to figure out how we can fit in. We change the way we dress the way we look, the way we act, just to be able to belong. We are willing to lie about our very selves just to be accepted. And all along, we know deep in our heart, it's not true. And we are dying. Our lives are fading away. And into this chapter of our life story, David says, comes a father's love. Because if you're going to know and rely on the love that God has for you, part of that has got to be this dimension of the passionate love of a dad. And David describes him as leading straight away to the city. Straight away. There are no missteps. Your safety, your belonging is his priority. He knows where you're at. He hasn't abandoned you. And he doesn't try to make you figure out where you need to go to belong. My son, Josh, when he was 16 years old, got his driver's license. He had only had it literally for a matter of days, and all of a sudden, late at night, he called me, and he was driving in a really, really bad neighborhood of Chicago, and he was lost. And he said, Dad, I'm really in a bad neighborhood, and I'm lost. Now, can you imagine me as a dad going, well, you got yourself in there. Get yourself out. (laughs) What kind of a dad would I be? At that moment... I didn't care why he was there. I didn't care what got him there. All I cared about was how do I get my son home safe? This is the picture of a father's love that he has for you. God knows where you are. He wants to bring you home. And you see this throughout all of Scripture. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, a father's love chased them down because he still wanted them to belong to him. When Abraham was called to start the plan of redemption, he had a destination of where the nation of Israel could belong. When Moses set the Israelites free out of Egypt, they were going to a promised land where they would have an identity and they would belong. When King David was raised up and began to talk about a coming Messiah, it added a whole other dimension to how we belong and where we belong with God. And then when Jesus shows up and he starts talking about a city and a new Jerusalem that will come down where we will belong, all of a sudden you realize, wow, all through the scriptures, there's this storyline where a father's love wants nothing but for you to belong with him. And even today, while we wait for that moment when we will truly belong, here's what Jesus says. He says, you're a city on a hill. You belong because you're part of Church Unlimited. 
And here you find that place to belong. And you may be here this morning, and you're sitting with thousands of people, but you feel all alone. And you say, nobody gets me. There's nothing you can do to acquire a father's love. You can only receive a father's love. David says he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry because the only true answer to wandering alone is not a career, it's not somebody else, it's the love of a heavenly father. But this creates a difficulty for some of us because we've had earthly father experiences that have soured us. We don't know a father's love or the love we know we'd rather forget. So David describes this father's love. He says he fills you with good things. He gives us the nature of a father. Now this is really important because this is what makes our faith in the true God different from every other faith on this planet. We live in a society that would like us to believe that all religions are basically the same. You know, we're all kind of going up a mountain, taking different pathways, and on top of the mountain is this kind of loving God figure. But that's not true at all. I think society would like us to believe that so they don't have to face the reality of how distinct a Christian faith is, is from all other religions. If you look at the world religions, Buddhism and Hinduism, they don't even believe in a loving personal God. It's just a mindset. If you look at Islam, they believe in one God, but never a father, a loving father. That would be blasphemous. What sets us apart as Christians is we know the true God, and his nature is this loving father. That's who he is to us. We go, wow, I can belong to that. Christianity is not about a moral code. Our behavior is not necessarily different morality than even some other religions. What makes us distinct is we have this loving father who says, I want you to belong to me. And you have to receive that. And when you do, you no longer spend endless hours trying to fit in. Because you belong as he's wired you, as who you are. There's a second chapter to our story. This is a chapter when we are prisoners We are guilty of a crime, and we are in a prison, and we're stuck there. And God's love comes as a savior. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's command and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Here David describes us as prisoners where we're sitting in what he calls utter darkness. This is not just I've disobeyed some of the rules of God. But there is a spiritual condition that is defined by a blindedness and a bondage because we have rebelled and despised God. We put ourselves in this prison. We are not a victim of injustice. We are in this prison, and he says no one can help us. A parent who desperately loves their child is helpless to help that child out of this prison. A friend who is willing to lay down his life for a friend cannot help you and me Out of this prison, nobody can help us. And he describes the prison as bronze gates and iron bars. In that culture, it signifies the absolute strength of this prison to keep us in bondage. And some of us know this chapter of our life story, where you're trapped and you know you're trapped. 
There's like this cycle. You make a promise to yourself. You make a promise to others that you will do better. You will live differently. And you inevitably break that promise. But to admit that you need help is also to admit defeat. So you just stay trapped. And David says, you're blinded. And you're in this bondage. And you feel like there's no way out. There's no hope for me. And into this chapter of our life story comes a Savior's love. Friends, never lose the lead role in your life story. Because it's not you and me. It is Jesus. But we're tempted to make ourselves the lead role. We're tempted to say, no, my life counts I can make my life be significant. I can make it have worth. You know how you know that's happening? Look at people's social media profiles. Most of their energy into see, I'm significant. I have worth and I have value. And they're in bondage. And they're blinded. And David says, no, here comes a Savior's love who saved them from this prison. Sin does not separate you from God's love. It does separate you from his righteousness, and that's where you need a Savior to deliver you. But look at how David describes what Jesus does. He says he breaks the gates, and he cuts through the bars. This is a picture of violence, of danger, of great risk. I think sometimes we kind of misunderstand the story of what Jesus did in our lives. We have this picture, here's Joel, and he's in a prison, and he can't get out. So Jesus goes to the courtroom, and there's a judge there. And he comes in front of the judge, and he hands him some papers about Joel, and the judge looks at the papers, and he goes, you know, you're right, Jesus, Joel's not guilty, and he stamps it, you know, he should be set free. So then Jesus takes those papers, and he comes back to the prison, and he's like in the parking lot of the prison, and he calls the warden up, he says, I got these papers, Joel should be set free. And Jesus is in the parking lot, kind of leaning against the car, relaxed, waiting for me to come out. And the gates open up, and I walk out of the prison, and I walk into the parking lot, and like a movie scene, we hug each other, and I go, Jesus, thanks for letting me out of prison. We kind of get in the car, and we drive away together. This is not the picture that David paints. He says he invades the prison. He cuts the bars. He destroys the prison. When he sets you free, he didn't just liberate you as a prisoner. He actually destroyed the prison because... The Bible says that when he died on the cross, he destroyed the power of evil and sin. There is no more prison to go back into. And when he destroyed the prison, do you know what else got destroyed? Your criminal record. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. You are not an ex-convict. He destroys the prison. You're set free. You are liberated in every way. He says he broke your chains If my bondage in part is me trying to prove my worth, my identity, making me the center of my life, do you know what freedom is? I never have to prove my worth again. I'm completely free because of Jesus proving my worth. One of my greatest, happiest days was the day I got married. Because when I got married to my wife, I never had to prove my worth again. (laughs) Before we were married, every day I was trying to prove to her how much I loved her. I was doing all kinds of nice things. The moment we're married, I don't have to prove it anymore. I'm in a covenant with her. She's stuck with me whether she likes it or not. This is the picture the Bible shows us. And some of us have lost sight of a Savior's love. And we're trying to prove to God that we're worthy of His love. And we actually diminish the fact that He's destroyed the prison. And you never have to prove yourself again. 
I mean, let's be honest. In our society, prisoners have no value. They're a stain on our society. We get angry because our tax dollars have to pay for their food after what they did. We just put them away. We don't want to see them. They have no value whatsoever. But when Jesus died on the cross and destroyed the prison, he put a value on my life I can never measure. I never can I measure that. And I never have to prove myself again. This is a Savior's love. I can't get that love. I can only receive that love. David says, look, look at how deep this love is. Third chapter of our life story. In this chapter, we're foolish and we're sick. And being sick, into our sickness comes the love of a healer. Look at verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Here David says, you know what? One chapter of your life story is you are sick. Now we know we get sick. We live in a fallen world and we know that God heals us. It's part of the covenant. But David wants us to understand how much deeper and richer a healer's love is. So he says, in this chapter, you're actually to blame for this. You're fools. And because of your rebellious ways, it results in sickness. You say, Joel, what does that look like? If your mind is not centered on God's word, and you allow garbage into your mind, in your mind there is no longer clarity. There's confusion, there's hypocrisy, there's chaos. You can't make sense of stuff, and your mind becomes sick. It needs healing. In your body, we live in a society that either idolizes the body or neglects the body. And in both ways, we do harmful things to our body. We put things into our body that God never created it to digest, and all of a sudden, our body becomes sick. In our soul, if you live with bitterness and unforgiveness, if you choose to enter into a toxic relationship with somebody, your soul gets hurt, and it's sick. David says there are seasons in our life where we make foolish choices that result in us becoming sick, where we cannot heal ourselves, where we loathed all food, where we give up on any source of life. I remember trying to help a young man who was addicted, and after a couple of weeks he said, Joel, why even try? I'm just an addict. I got myself into this problem. This is my fault. There's no hope for me. This is the chapter of our life story. And into this chapter... David says, comes a healer's love. Friends, do not miss out on God's love because you think the wrong choices you have made have disqualified you from his love. Yeah. He says he rescued them from the grave. It's not that they got their act together and then the healing love came. No, right when they were at the grave, that's when the healing love came because his healing love is the first step of the transformation. Do you see the video of Bayless promoting the conference? Many of you know Bayless' story. Good friend of mine, good friend of Pastor Talk. I was talking to Bayless a few weeks ago. He said, Joel, I should be dead. My mind should be fried. Because in his 20s and teenage years, he put so many drugs in his body, so much alcohol, that his life should have ended. But into his story came a healer's love. Not before, not after Bayless got his act together, but before. And he healed him for the transformation. Same story for us. You may be here this morning, and your mind is sick because you just can't make sense of life. Or your body is sick. Or your soul is really wounded because of bad relationships. 
And David wants you to know, look at the love of God deeply as this healer. And he says, he sent forth his word to heal them. You see, when we think of healing, oftentimes we think about faith. I'm going to believe God for healing. That's biblical. But we have to be careful. Because when we only think about faith and not love, we can cross a line where, do I have enough faith so I can get God's healing? And you cannot acquire. You can only receive. So David says, I want you to understand this healer in terms of love, not just faith. So he says, he sent forth his word to heal him. Well, what's his word? The Bible tells us. The word is Jesus. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So God is saying, I have such a love for you, for your wholeness, for your health, mind, body, soul, that I'm going to send my son to make sure you are healthy and whole. That's a picture of love. Before we ever believed anything. We worked years ago in Bulgaria, and I got a phone call when I was in America, and the national pastor that I was working with was in a horrific car accident. It just happened, and they thought he was going to die. I got on a plane and flew all the way to Bulgaria for one day. I flew from America to Bulgaria, went right to the hospital, just so I could be there at his bedside, hold his hand, pray for him. Next day, I flew home. You go, Joel, wow. That's amazing that you would do that. It's nothing compared to God in the holiness of heaven, leaving that purity, setting aside his glory to come to earth in my flesh just so he could be with me and say, I'm here just so you'll be healthy. This is a picture of a healer's love. You cannot get it. You just receive it. And everything in us wants to do something. God says, no, I am love. You just receive this? Here's the fourth chapter of our story. In this story, we're in a storm. We haven't done anything wrong, but we are in a storm, and we do not have the ability to navigate that storm. And that storm is overwhelming us so that there is fear in our life. And into this story comes God's love as a creator. Look at verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Here David says, you are sailors on the sea. You know what you're doing, and yet, even though you have a skill, you face a storm in life that your ability cannot get you through that storm, and you are at your wit's end where your capacity to navigate life falls short and you become aware of that. Years ago when my dad died, a few weeks after the funeral, I was in my lounge room and I was weeping uncontrollably. I had lost my dad, I had lost my mentor, I had lost my best friend, and I was facing a storm of grief and I realized I don't have the ability to navigate this storm. I cannot get through this storm. I was at my wit's end And when you are facing that, and some of you this morning are facing that, you are facing a storm and you realize, I don't have what it takes to get through this storm. And David says, your courage melts away. You become paralyzed. You stop working. 
You stop co-creating with God. Everybody in here who is a parent understands this chapter of your life story. Because no matter how many books you read, no matter how much you learn about being a parent, you will face a storm with your child and you realize, I don't have the ability to get me and my child through this storm. And fear sets in. And paralysis sets in. And into this story comes the love of a creator. And you say, Joel, why a creator's love? Because I think it's really important when we know and rely on God's love, we understand our story with him from the beginning, not from the middle. Many times we tell our love story with God from the middle. Here's how it goes. I'm a sinner. God saved me. Thankfully, he did that. But we're starting from the middle not from the beginning, because the beginning of the story was, I am created in God's image. He has a purpose and a destiny for my life. Yes, I sinned and he redeemed me. Thank God for that. If you don't start at the beginning, when you face a storm that you cannot navigate and it overwhelms you, you go back to your false beginning, the middle, and you go, see, I'm a loser. I'm a sailor, but I can't get it done. And fear sets in and you're paralyzed. But if you go back to the beginning of the story, wait a minute, there's a creator's love. He created me in his image. He gave my life a purpose. He gave my life a destiny. So there may be a storm, but I've got a creator's love at work. And David says, he stills the storm. And he guides me to my desired haven. You see, when it comes to a father, a savior, a healer, we can see that in terms of love, but when it comes to a creator, we just see that authority in terms of, well, I better obey. He's the boss. And David says, no, look at God's love deeper, because when he created you, he did not create you just because he's the boss. He created you out of love. And when you know a creator's love, you know that he's got a purpose and a destiny for your life, and he will guide you to a desired haven no matter what storms you may be facing. Why? Because you're not doing it alone. You've got a creator still at work in your life. I have a dream. My dream may take me 10 years to get to that dream fulfillment. And I know in the next 10 years, I'm going to face storms along the way to see that dream fulfilled. And some of those storms I will not be able to navigate. But if I will receive a creator's love, knowing, wait a minute, that dream came from God. And he's creating with me. And he will not let any storm get in the way. He will get me to my desired haven. We oftentimes see God in terms of stilling the storm. David says, no, look deeper. He didn't just stop the storm. He got them to where they needed to be. And God will get you to where you needed to be. But you can't acquire this love. You can only receive it. It's as if David is saying, listen, if you know the love of God deeply and richly, your life story has a happy ending to it. Because this is a, a father's love. You're here and you feel like nobody gets me. But you have this father who wants nothing but to get you home safe. You're trapped and you're in this cycle. You feel like you have no worth, and there is this Savior's love who destroys the prison and brings value and worth to your life by redeeming you. You're sick, your mind, your body, your soul. And there's this healer's love, no matter what got you to your place of sickness, that heals you as the first act of transformation. Or you're facing a storm today, and you've discovered that you don't have the ability to navigate that storm. And there's this creator's love who hasn't stopped creating in you. 
who's given your life a purpose and a destiny and will get you to that heaven, that haven, and you go, wow, how do I access this love? I can't get it. How do I receive it? Every one of these groups did two things in Psalms 107. Every one of the groups, only two things. They cried out to God and they gave thanks to God. It's all they did. Look at verse 6, 13, 19, and 28. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. But life is not easy. What David wants us to understand is God's love is there for every season, whether we're guilty of it or just not guilty of it. His love is always there. And he says, don't minimize God's love to just one chapter of your life story. Make it there in every story. And all you need to do is recognize that the need for his love, that's what you need to know and rely on. If you recognize that, you just cry out. When my daughter was two years old, every parent has seen this. Every time she got into a trouble, a difficulty, Here's what she would do. Dad, 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 hands up in the air. She was a child crying out to her father for love. That's all she could do. She's two years old. God says, listen, you become like that. You just cry out. Never replace anyone with God's love when you cry out. Never stop crying out. It's the one thing you do. My need is so great. I'm going to cry out every day, every morning. I'll just cry out to him. I want to show you a picture. This may seem kind of silly to you, but this is a picture of a nightstand by my bed in my room. My daughter gave me this. It's a calligraphy of Romans 15, 13. It's right there by my bed, and it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have the verse memorized, and this may seem silly to you, but every morning before my feet touch the floor, I read this plaque. Every morning. Do you know what I'm doing? I'm crying out. I'm saying, God, today I need your love as a father, as a savior, as a healer, as a creator. God loves us so much, he gives us the words to cry out to him with. That's what scripture does. I cry out to God. And then they gave thanks, where there is this gratitude for his love that enables us to receive it David says, think about God's love. Stare at it. Figure it out deeply. So let me ask you a question as we close this morning. What part of God's love do you need? You feel alone and you need a dad's love? You feel trapped, no worth, and you need a savior's love to get you out of the prison? You feel, you know, you're sick. Your mind is cluttered, your body, your soul, and you need a healer's love. Or you're facing a storm and it has stopped life from moving forward. And you're paralyzed and you're at your wit's end. And you need a creator's love that says, I'm still here and I'm getting you to your destination. Which part of God's love do you need? That's why this verse is so important for us as Christ followers. 1 John 4.16 And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God's unfailing love for us is an objective truth affirmed over and over in Scripture. It is true whether you believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy God's love. Our faith does not create it. God's love comes from the very nature of who He is. He is love. And His love flows through us through His Son, Jesus. Pastor Talk's going to come up and close this, but i got to tell you one more thing about Psalms 107. In every chapter of our life story, every group, 
everybody received God's love. Everybody did. The people got home to the city. The prisoners were set free and the prison was destroyed. Those who were sick, they were all healed. And the storm was calmed for all the sailors and they got to their desired haven. Nobody missed out on God's love. And to receive it, all you do is cry out. Fight every temptation to try to get it. Because it marginalizes his very nature. God is love. I don't know about you, but when I read this psalm, it blows my mind. I've never thought of or experienced love that pure, that perfect, that amazing. David says, if you consider that, you let the Holy Spirit really digest that into you, your life will be transformed. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray for each person who's here. Every one of us, we need your love in different ways. We thank you that this is who you are. I pray, Lord, that we would not see your love superficially, but we would recognize the depth, the riches, that we would know and rely on your love. Teach us, Lord, to receive. We're here this day and we are lifting our hands and crying out to you. We know the only thing that we can rely on is your love. Jesus, we thank you and we love you. We worship you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.